0: I'm going to encourage you to find Colossians chapter 3 in your Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, the first uh, handful of verses there, 1 through 4, is where we're going to spend some time this morning. We are on our third message on the Heaven series, and today I want to discuss the purpose of Heaven. Maybe that's not a question you've ever asked. Why is there a heaven? Most of us have come with the assumption, sounds like a nice place, I want to be there. You ever asked why? There is a heaven. We're going to talk about that a little bit here today. Previous uh, times we have uh, been in our study, we've talked about the place called heaven and the reality, the fact that it does exist. We've looked at that. We've also talked about the people of heaven last week, referencing those who will be there and those who won't be there. And that's always an interesting topic to bring up. And I would ask again, as uh, we approach this time of study, that if you're unsure as to whether or not you're one who will spend eternity in heaven when the Lord takes you from this earth, I really don't want you to live another day with uncertainty. I am available to talk to you anytime you want. Uh, call me, we we'll are talk. It's that important to me. It's that important to you, I know, as to where you will spend your eternity. And I would love to talk to you about that uh, and show you the peace that Scripture gives us about our future in Christ for those who believe. And, and if that's an issue for you, please, please don't hesitate to let me know I would love to talk to you about that Uh, our entire study of heaven is not to satisfy curiosity though we have a lot of that that's not what we're just seeking to do to satisfy curiosity Um, I plan eventually in probably a few weeks to get to a, a section of our study where we actually talk about the description of heaven you notice I haven't done that Uh, up to this point many people will start with that and uh, I think there's some foundational points that need to be made first Uh, and that is is there a heaven and we talked about that the reality and how do you get there those are essential uh, points and we talked to that now today I want to add to that thinking the purpose of it so let's ask the Lord's help before we even begin gracious Lord Again, we have your word open in front of us, and that's our teacher. It's your word. And I pray that you would help us to understand today. Uh, it is you who works in our hearts and causes us to, to uh, grasp your truth and to believe your truth and to do what you tell us to do. So we're totally dependent upon you at this time when we open up your word. But thank you, Lord, that your word is active, it's powerful, it it always accomplishes what you set out for it to do. And uh, you, Lord, are are the one who loves us. So these words are not words uh, uh, other than an expression of how much you care and how much you want us to know. So help us today, Lord, to know, we pray, that we might respond appropriately. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will be u- using two primary passages today. Uh, we're spending the bulk of our time in Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to work our way over to John 14, a very familiar passage we have in that section. Uh, honestly, when I was thinking this through, I said, wow, we can start in Genesis and work our way all the way through Scripture for this one. And uh, how much time do you have, Drew? Uh-huh. He was talking to me about that this morning. We, we could be here all day long, but we're not going to be. Um, just I'm, I'm going to try to keep it to these, these simple passages. Um, and I'm also mindful of this. When I, I go into Colossians chapter 3, we have seen this passage quite a bit, probably in the last year. I keep bringing up this, these set of verses. And uh, I think that's good for us to, to keep seeing them and hearing them. Uh, there's truth that we need to understand, and there's truth we need to operate by. And these verses tell us so. And so I think it's, it's essential that we go there again in Colossians 3. Now the words say in verse number 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. I'm going to especially emphasize verse 1 and 2 in this. When I was in elementary school, can't remember how early it was. It might have been second grade that I was already in glasses. Uh, I was a regular visitor at the eye doctor's office. In fact, my whole family was, my, my mom and my dad, my, my brothers, my sisters, there were six of us children. And uh, we were destined to keep the eye doctor in business. Uh, we were there constantly, it seemed. Uh, you remember that uh, when you go to a visit with the eye doctor they said that giant uh, black, I don't even know what the name of that device is, that they change the lenses and they're constantly asking you is this one better or is that one better Um, I think my mom offered to buy that from him once uh, on my behalf because of how often I was there I'm pretty sure she paid enough to have bought that uh, device over the years but this This only showed that I was very dependent upon eyeglasses at a very early age, and uh, I remember a day back in the fourth grade, I believe it was, uh, when at school the teachers um, were giving an eye test, a vision test, to all of us in in the school, and uh, they would take us into this classroom, and I recall over on the back wall, if it was a door the bulletin board I I don't remember they had an eye chart back there and we were to stand on this line and we were to read that chart and and um, I walked up to that uh, line to read the chart and they said well take off your glasses and read it for us I couldn't see the chart I couldn't even see the black spot where a big E should have been Uh, I should have memorized the E anyway. That would have been easy, but I didn't think about that. And and I just couldn't even see the chart, for that matter. A note came home to my mom from the school suggesting that I wear glasses. (laughs) Now, I don't remember exactly how my mom responded to that suggestion. But uh, I do know my mom had a very unusual approach of dealing with things that, that bothered her uh, one day the school bus passed us by we were standing there waiting for the school bus and it just went right by and off it went to school and and so we went back to the house and she put us in the car and drove us down to the school and this is her normal approach mind you she would uh, walk into the office and she would say to the secretary you tell me your phone number and next time the bus passes by I'll call you and you can come and get my kids The bus never passed us by again. This was her typical approach to things. And I noticed something over the years. I never had another vision test at school either. I I don't know how she dealt with that. But but she knew, and I knew, there was a very good reason I wore glasses. I was dependent on it in order to see. Now, I think of that every time I read chapter 3 of Colossians, when it says, Keep seeking things above... And in verse number 2, to set your mind on things above. It's an issue of focus. Focus. What are you looking at? What do you see? What have you set your eyes on that you will not turn them to another direction? What, what are you looking at? Colossians 3 specifically in these verses are dealing with the issue of heaven. It's right there in the words, and and we're going to plow through this. I suppose we as believers have been criticized over the years, you know that, uh, uh, from philosophical circles and such. Uh, We've been criticized for believing there is a heaven. We've been criticized that way. We have been told it's a psychological crutch. We have been told it's a place of our imagination. We have been told it's a myth. We've been told it's a coping mechanism to help us deal with the world's challenges. It's an escape concept when we don't want to deal with tough times. We just kind of transfer our mind into this imaginary land and and get away from our troubles that way. There are those who are supposed to be thinkers in our world who have bundled all of our beliefs into a pile they just simply call religion and... No doubt you're familiar with with some of them over the years. You've heard words of them, Uh, particularly this one by Karl Marx has been marked as uh, a common uh, phrase. Religion is the opium of the people. Sometime written around 1840. Religion is the opium of the people. Now, I found it interesting, there was a, a website that referenced that, and they said, well, it was, a, it was an atheist group that set up this website, and they said, uh, the problem is that people don't take that in context. All right? So I thought, well, if I insist that people take me in context, and if we study scripture from context, then let's give it an opportunity to be in context. All right? So I read you the context then you can decide what you want. This is what he wrote. The foundation of irreligious criticism is man makes religion. Religion does not make man. Religion is indeed the self-consciousness and self-esteem of man who has either not yet won through to himself or has already lost himself again. Man is no abstract being squatting outside the world. Man is the world of man, state, society. This state and this society produce religion, which is an inverted consciousness of the world because they are an inverted world. Religion is the general theory of this world. It's enthusiasm, it's moral sanction, it's solemn compliment its universal basis of consolation and justification. It is the fantastic realization of the human essence, since the human essence is not acquired any true reality. The struggle against religion is, therefore, indirectly the struggle against the world whose spiritual aroma is religion. Religious suffering is, at one at the same time, the expression of real suffering and a protest against real suffering. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of the heartless world, and the soul of the soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion as the misleading happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. To call on them to give up their illusions about the condition is to call on them to give up a condition that requires illusions. The criticism of religion is, therefore, in embryo, the criticism of that veil of tears of which religion is a halo. Criticism has plucked the imaginary flowers on the chain, not in order that man should continue to bear the chain without fantasy or consolation, but so that he would throw off the chain and pluck the living flower. Right. Do you gather anything from some of those words? (laughs) religion is a crutch it's created by man to deal with issues I'll go even further I'll show you more that he says by equating our our belief simply as an opium that meant religion is a device in order to numb you it's in order to calm you so that you can work out the pains of your weakness alright Charles Kingsley who actually was one of the leaders in the Church of England, wrote four years later after this. He says, we have used the Bible as if it were a mere uh, special constable's handbook, an opium dose for keeping beasts of burden patient while they were being overloaded. It's a leader in the church four years later. He already bought the, the piece. And if you haven't heard this one as well, Lenin, yes, the Lenin of history, this is what he adds to it. Religion is one of the forms of spiritual oppression, which everywhere weighs down heavily upon the masses of the people, overburdened by their perpetual work for others, by wanton isolation, impotence of the exploited classes, in their struggle against the exploiters, just as inevitably give rise to the belief in a better life after death, as the impotence of a savage in his battle, which nature gives rise to belief in gods and devils and miracles and the like. Those who toil and live in want all their lives are taught by religion to be submissive and patient while here on earth and to take comfort in the hope of a heavenly reward. But those who live by the labor of others are taught by religion to practice charity while on earth, thus offering them a very cheap way of justifying their entire existence. Religion is the opium for the people. Religion is sort of a spiritual booze, he says, in which the slaves of capital drown their human image. All right, there you have it. In its context with others who also came to support uh, that belief as well. They criticize our belief in heaven as a drug. They criticize it as being an alcoholic beverage. By which we, we give ourselves some sort of a stupor so that uh, we who are too weak to live in this world of men imagine a better place that we will eventually go. That's a concept behind the criticism. Now, if all that were true, then man has created heaven. It's our escape place. Now, I want to show you some verses. Because as you already know, I'm a firm believer in God's word. Alright? Galatians, I mean Galatians. Hold your place in in, uh, Colossians there. And just recall with me, and if you want to see it, it's in Genesis chapter 1. And it's just verse number 1. And you probably might be able to quote it as I go through it. You just heard this before. In the beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. Simple verse, right? I give emphasis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sometimes you might sit down and say, well, why? Why did he do that? And why two different places? Why the heavens? And why the earth? And, and maybe there's a lot of questions there. And why not just one place? But just mark in your mind a simple phrase, God created the heavens and the earth. Then I go over to John chapter 14, I mean John chapter 1 rather, sorry, John chapter 1, in the first couple of verses of that book, and I see these words, let's let's look at these for a minute, again, they're very familiar, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, without too much uh, um, uh, proving the point, Who is the Word? It's Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus Christ we're referencing here. He was, verse 2, in the beginning with God. Now focus exactly on verse 3. All things, how much? All, all things came into being through Him. See those words? And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So when we talk about the creation of all things, do we have to throw the heavens in that picture? Absolutely. And according to that, we must include Jesus Christ in our conversation. Is that true? Based on this verse, he is the one who created all these things. We have to put him in the picture. Now, getting closer to our context in Colossians, chapter number 1 we're pulling closer and closer to our chapter 3 but in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 verse 16 now I I will show you first in verse number 13 we're talking about Jesus Christ again for in the context it says he, that's God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son that's Jesus Christ, right? Now keep going with it. In whom, that's in Jesus Christ, we have, the forget, the, the, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He is the image of the invisible God. Who is he? Jesus Christ. We're right in the same context. We're staying consistent with the pronouns. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for, verse 16, watch this, For by Him, who's Him? Jesus Christ. By Him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. That just added something very fascinating to our thinking here. All things, including the heavens, were created through him. He's the agency by which they were created. Alright? We can handle this. It's his own activity that brought it about. Okay? But also, all things, including heavens, were created for him. Ooh, wait a minute. Here's a purpose all of a sudden, isn't it? A purpose for its creation? Yeah, here it is. All things were created for Him. That means the heavens and the earth and you and me and all of the universe is what they call technically a Christocentric universe. You know what that means in simple terms? He's the center of it all. We live in a day and age in a man. Centered universe. Because we think we're the thing that the whole world goes around. We're the thing that's important. Scripture tells us in another picture. If it talks about gravity, and we can say, well, gravity holds all things together. Look at what verse 17 says. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who holds gravity together? He does. You see, when you start backing things up from here, what he says is that he is before all things, he holds all things together, he is the creator of all things, and it is created for him. That's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? It's created for him. So I'm going to start with an observation. It's real simple. Heaven was God's idea, not ours. Contrary to the criticism, man did not create heaven, God did. It wasn't our idea. It was His idea. He started it. He created it. He created it for a purpose. It's not our imagination. It's His work. So, I start with this, and and I want you to just go along with me for a few minutes, and then it'll make sense. Heaven's primary purpose is not centered on me. As much as I'd like it to be, it's not. It's not about me and my future, even though there's something I'll share with you about in a little bit. It's centered on the purpose of Jesus Christ, its existence is for Him. At times, I know I can be very uh, centered on my own universe and think everything revolves around me. You're not like that. I am. When I talk about life, I talk about my life. When I talk about opinions, I talk about my opinions. When I talk about ways, I talk about my ways. It's my family. It's my job. You ever do that? Run a test someday, just one day. Put notches every time you use the pronouns, me, my, or I. You'd be amazed at how often those come up in a conversation. Don't do it on me, do it on yourself. All right? Just test to see who is really the center of my universe here. Who is the one that I'm more concerned about than anyone else? I know who that is in many cases on my part. I think about myself. What's the whole point? If heaven was created, and it was, and it's created for a purpose, and it is, what is its primary purpose? And I cannot put myself in that picture right now. Not from what I just read in scriptures. It says that it was created for him. Alright? Hang on to that. Ephesians chapter 1 adds a little bit more to this. In chapter 1 verse 10 and later also in verse number 12, it speaks to the grand purpose of everything where it talks about a future. Future. In which all things will be summed up together, gathered together. All things summed up and gathered together. And in verse 10 it says the summing up of all things in Christ. The things that are in the heavens, the things that are on the earth. That includes all things, that includes you and me too. All of them summed up together. And verse 12 says to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of... His glory. Alright? You got it so far? Everything exists for His glory, for His purpose. That does not erase you or me. There's a place for you and me in bringing glory to God. Okay? It doesn't minimize anything that we're going to see later. It just shows that primarily these things were created by Him and for Him. That's important. That's important. There's a song that is recorded in in the book of Revelation. Uh, One of the first songs that's been sung, I I think, according to our flow of Scripture in Revelation 4.11. This is what they begin singing up there in, in heaven. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. First song in the list of a series of songs that they sing in the book of Revelation reminds us about God who created and why He created. It was for His pleasure. It was for His purpose. So, I gather from that the primary purpose for the creation of heaven is to the praise of his glory. I'm putting this together and now you see the logic for what I've said. And it's no wonder then that those who deny the existence of heaven and criticize those who believe in it, in reality do not want to recognize the one who created it and why. That's what it really comes down to. They somehow think that if they can erase the, the belief in heaven, call it religion, call it what you want, imaginary, whatever, if they erase the concept of it, they erase all accountability to it. They're not responsible to something that doesn't exist, right? And if that doesn't exist, then God must not exist, and so it sets them free from having to give Him glory. See the problem? That's what it comes down to. They were wrong. They were wrong. Romans 1 will tell you that. They deny the existence of God. Not that they don't know He's there. They just do it because they don't want to give Him glory. They don't want to acknowledge Him because there's accountability there. And you know, to some degree, we've kind of given leverage to their rants. You know why? Many times we put ourselves as the center of our universe and they can see that just as well as, as we experience it and at least unconsciously we would go about saying heaven exists because of us. And they say, ah, now we got you because you've just imagined that to get out of this world and escape your troubles. It's for you. Start with the reality. It's for Him. Then they have to deal with God. They don't have to deal with me anymore. They have to deal with the realization of who he is, not me. Now, I bring you all that way to bring you back to Colossians 3. With all that understood and said, he starts in verse number 1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and here's our very first question that I have to ask you as a pastor. Have you been raised up with Christ? What's that mean? Well, uh, it's a definition of a Christian. One who has died with Christ, one who was buried with Christ, one who has been raised up with Christ. Romans 6 explains that. Ephesians chapter 2 explains that. The, the, The believer's life is tied into what Christ has done for him because we believe he died for us. So his death was on our behalf, but his death was our death. His burial was our burial. His resurrection then is guess what? Our resurrection. Because of our hope we have in Him. He has applied that to us. And it's an amazing thing that He's done. So, if we understand that to be all true, then a better way to start verse number one is not if you have been raised up with Christ, but since you have been raised up with Christ. Let's talk about reality here, right? Grammatically, that's true anyway. In the Greek, it starts with since. Since you have been raised up with Christ, notice the results of this. Keep seeking things above this is what you as a believer is called to do it is important that a believer keeps a heavenly focus i'll tell you why it's important matter of fact it's a command that's why it's important it's a command when i work with my greek students uh if i could parade any one of them in here they'll tell you this and it's true Uh, when we study a verse together and translate it, I make them parse out every verb. That's uncomfortable for some. They don't like to do all that extra work. But by parsing it out, I ask them to tell me it's person, and it's number, and it's voice, and it's tense, and it's mood, and it's lexical form, and it's definition. They have to march through that every single time, and some verses are just full of verbs. So I will be consistent with what I teach and I'll parse this out for you and you'll understand, alright? Trust me. This phrase, keep seeking things above, keep seeking, is what we call a second person plural present active imperative. It comes from Zeta L. It means to seek. And the definition is you keep on seeking. Now I break it apart and listen carefully. What does you mean? This is not hard, but it gets rather personal, doesn't it? You, uh, let, let's, let's talk about somebody else. <laughs> no, it gets rather personal. You. That's where it starts. I see that too. He says, you all. It's plural. If he was writing to this church, just this church right here. If he was writing right now to you, the Apostle Paul, and says, you all keep on seeking. He's not aiming at the elders He's not talking to Sunday school teachers. You all mean who? You all. All is a big word, isn't it? It covers everybody in the room. Who's exempted from that? Nobody. That's, okay, uh, this is now really getting personal, because I could have hidden behind a pillar. But no, he just covered everybody in the room. You all. No one is omitted from this command. Oh, did I say it was a command? Didn't get that far yet. It's a present tense command, which present tense commands are continuous in nature. So how often are we supposed to be keeping, keep seeking things above? All the time. You see the nature of that word? Present tense, keep on seeking. Don't stop. All right? It's active voice. This is kind of fun. Active voice means the subject is doing the action. When the subject is doing the action, and you are the subject, who's to be doing this action? All of you. Alright? In other words, I'll say it another way. It is something for you to do. The pastor can talk about heaven, but you are to seek it. I can't seek it for you. Alright? Don't throw it on me and say, okay, pastor, you know, Greek, you do this. Uh-uh. It's for all of you to be seeking, okay? Active voice, that means you're doing it. It's not passive voice It's being done for you. It's very precise, isn't it? It's rather uncomfortable. Last thing it is, is that it's an imperative. That means a command. It's a command. Not a suggestion. Not a good idea. Not an option. Either. This is what commands come down to. Either you are... Seeking things above, or you are disobedient to this command. All right, then now it's really uncomfortable, isn't it? But that's the reality of this word. And I say, Oh, that's too powerful. That's the kind of force that would change our whole focus, isn't it? From our, our, our puny Christian way of looking out for ourselves to obedient Christians who will focus on heaven because we're told to do so. That's what he tells us to do. Do it. Consider, if you will, any opposition to our focus being on heaven is an attempt to get us to disobey God. They're not merely setting up a, a psychological battle or debate or whatever you want to call it. They want you to stop obeying God because God is the issue. And focus on Him is the issue. And they don't want it. And they're happy if you don't want it too. That makes them all happy. So it's an attempt to stop us from obeying our Father. Notice what it says here as well from verse number 1 that we just seen. It's not merely things above that keeps our focus, but it's where Christ is. Keep seeking things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Our Savior... We know lived in eternity past. At some point in that time, He created the heavens. He's dwelt up there, and at some particular point in time, and we it at Christmas time, He took on human flesh and came and dwelled and lived on this earth among men. We have record of His life. We have record of His death on a cross for our sins. We have record of the fact He was buried. We have record of the fact that He arose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. We have that evidence before us. It also says that he ascended into heaven. And where did he go? Into heaven. And what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice what it says keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's exactly where we found him to go. That's where he is in this verse. So that's where he's seated. Not only has He created heaven for His own glory, but He is now the centerpiece of that place. In every way you could imagine it, He is the centerpiece of that place. Heaven exists for the purpose of showing the glory of and prompting the worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's His purpose in existence. And if it just needs to be restated, verse number 2 says that. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. If our thoughts, then, are centered on this world, we think like this world, we talk like this world, we plan like this world, we behave like this world, and soon it will be that we just simply believe in this world. We believe in it. If our thoughts are centered on Christ, we think like Christ, We talk like Christ, we plan like Christ, we behave like Christ, we believe in Christ, right? Is there a distinction between those two? The world and Christ? Yeah! Verse 2 tells you, here's, here's your option, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on this earth. If heaven is his creation... And if heaven is created for His purpose, and for His pleasure, and for His glory, and if heaven is where He is, then I will think on heaven. You see? I will think on it. Because not only is it told me to do so, but that's where my Savior is. I will think on heaven. Now, before we go away with just that much, I add more that we need to hear. Verse 3 and 4 adds, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. I like those last four words. Revealed with Him in glory. This Jesus Christ, who we adore, who we worship, who we have talked about all this time, rightly deserves praise. Rightly deserves the glory. Whether he did anything for us or not, he still deserves the glory. But the reality is, he did do something for us, didn't he? He did do something for us. And it's because of what he has done for us in dying on our behalf that it has made all the difference in the world with why we worship him. Not just because he's God. But He's God who loves me and who's died for me. And add one more aspect. He wants me to be with Him. (laughs) That's kind of stunning when you think it through. You mean He wants me to? He wants me? That's what it just said. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. See, heaven is a place not only is designed for the purpose of bringing Him glory, but it's also a place that He intends to share with those who believe in Him. That's a place He's designed so that we may share that place with Him. That's why I have John 14 on my heart too. John 14, we back up to that passage, and receive very familiar words to us. The first uh, three verses will be sufficient for now. It says in John 14, verse 1, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I love that last phrase, don't you? Where I am, there you may be also. Why is he creating this? So that you could be with him. Let's add this to our reason for heaven's existence. Heaven exists as a place where believers in Christ will be with Jesus. It's real simple. But that's reality. Reality. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the difference between this present heaven and the future heaven and all those other things. But really, it doesn't make much of a difference at this point. We shall be with Jesus. We shall be with Him. How often the Bible says that. First uh, Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive will be caught up together with Him in the air and meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, he says in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. But I do not know which one to choose. But I am hard pressed, Paul writes, from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better, or to remain on for your good. Second Corinthians 5.8 we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I just love that way it's said. To be at home with the Lord. This is the wisdom of the teaching of heaven. I want you to grasp this. It is not foolishness like some would want us to believe. But there's wisdom in all this. Think it through this way. Just one example. If This life that we live is all there is to it. Are you satisfied? There are some people who live a very difficult life, don't they? They have one trial after another trial after another trial and sometimes they they just say, if this is all there is, can't I get a do-over? Can't I get a refresh button here or something? How can I start this where I've got a better life? And if, I end my life with all these trouble. I've been ripped off. If that's all there is to it. I thought that once in high school. First day of spring break, I sprained my ankle. Next day, I woke up with the flu. It was the worst spring break of my life. I recovered just in time to go back to school. I went right to the teachers. I said, that's not fair. I want to do-over. Do you think I got it? I did not get it. They smiled at me, you know, as they do. I thought I deserved something better. If our attention is on this world only, folks, we're going to march through this world as some of the most miserable people on this planet. Because this is all there is. This is it. But see, God in His wisdom in His Word, has told us, there's more to it than this life. He told us that, so that He can explain this place He's created for us. He could explain this place that He and our Savior dwells. He can lift our eyes up to it, and tell us, I invite you to share it with me. In His wisdom, He's given to us that information, so that we can carry on, Truly carry on in this world. with The belief in that place. It has a purpose in our faith. It has a purpose now. It's where the, the focus of our eyes are. It's where the hope of our soul lies. It's a place that we're going to be with Jesus. And we anchor to that, don't we? We anchor to that. So I asked you as I started this morning. First thing. Is this something you know for sure for yourself? If today were your last day on earth, are you prepared to go to spend eternity with Jesus in that place He has created? If not, I would love to talk to you about it. I want you to have that assurance. I want you to know that you are one He died for. That by faith in Him, that eternal life is taken care of. You can trust Him with these words. Trust Him with these words. It's that important to me. I want to show you the truth of Scripture and how you can put your faith in Him. That's why we talk about heaven. That's why we talk about it. It's not an escape place, although when I'm leaving this world, you're going to hear me screaming, I'm free! All right? It is. I guess, if you really look at it, there is an escape clause in there somewhere. But to be with Jesus forever, what a joy that will be. Is that what you're going to experience too? Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room. Not one person is outside of your knowledge. You know our relationships with you. So Lord, we come before you this morning in prayer. There might be some among us who do not know you as their Lord and Savior. They don't realize what Jesus Christ has done, that He died on a cross true, but that He died for them personally to pay for their sins, that thing that has separated us from our Father above. He's paid that price that we might believe in Him and receive the forgiveness of our sins and to acquire a right relationship with you and to be really clothed in His righteousness and not in our own. To have this hope instilled in our hearts to have a future secure to know, to know that there is a heaven and we will spend eternity with our Savior. Maybe there's somebody here who needs to know all that today, Lord. And I pray that you might do that work in their heart that only you can do. If you can use us somehow as tools to help them along and answer questions, but most of all, use us as a tool to point them to Jesus. And I pray that you do that today, Lord. Draw them to yourself as only you can do. For the rest of us, Lord, perhaps we haven't thought of the real purpose of heaven all along. We thought it was really all about us. and We forgot about our Savior who gets the glory and the honor for all these things. Redirect our focus Do some work with our lenses, Lord, and sharpen our focus on Him. Help us to do what You have told us to do, to keep seeking things above. May our eyes be fastened there, and may our hearts become solid in faith. May we know that we know our Savior and seek Him. Thank You for our time in Your Word today. Challenge us with it. Write it on our hearts, and may we not forget it. In Jesus' name, Amen.